<laughs> very kind words. Very kind words. <laughs> well, let's take our Bibles and turn to uh, James once again. James chapter 1. And uh, we'll read the first 12 verses together. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed, and for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the, sun is no sooner, for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them, that love him. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study today. Father God, we once again thank you for being that awesome sovereign God that has given us your word, that has not left us in the dark as to who you are, what you desire, and what our future is. Father, we cannot thank you enough for Jesus Christ. He being all God, all man, that lived on this earth, humbling himself, even to the death of the cross. Buried, and then proving that his sacrifice was worthy for eternity, he rose again. Father, all of this is because of your power and who you are. Father, may we get a clearer picture, even in these moments before us, as you reveal, through the word of God... We ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively use the word to guide us into all truth. Father, we ask that he would be our teacher, our teacher alone. Father, for those that are gathered here today, we would ask that you'd particularly bless them. Meet their needs, Father. Allow them in these moments now to have never been closer to you than you've allowed them now. Father, take us and use us. The journey that you have us on in this life. Illuminate one step at a time as we live for you. Now as we come with assurance and confidence that you are God of yesterday, today, and forever, use these moments to guide us, to encourage us, to uplift us, to strengthen us, and especially to give us wisdom from the Word. These things we'll ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we uh, began a study on the sense of trials and how do we endure them? How do we endure trials? And 
I'm sure if I would ask you today, how many of you had trials this week, uh, you probably, every single one would raise your hand. That's the way life is. In fact, as uh, Paul, I wasn't sure, but did you pray for Elton and Ann? Uh, Elton called me on Monday, just a day after last Sunday's, I would say, enduring trials, and Elton said, Larry, we're full-gauged on in a very major trial. My brother-in-law was killed in a motorcycle accident. I'm on my way to Oregon to be with my sister and their children. As I prayed for them over the phone, it's amazing how that trial was, boom, out of the blue. That's the way trials are, aren't they? Yesterday, as just before the service, again, Elton called me and I prayed with he and Ann on the phone. And amazingly, through this, and by the way, this trial doesn't just end. It's amazing how long trials take, right? If you could just have them for five minutes and it would be over, it would probably be one thing. But here's an ongoing trial. I've, I've left my phone. But at any rate, uh, this morning, Elton texted me and said, God is so good. He is so powerful. The uh, service yesterday was amazing, and he helped me. That's what trials literally do for those of us that are in Christ. They're not easy. They're not simple. Unless we trust God. And I say that because just as last week, not knowing anything that would happen, And just like today, we have no idea what this next week will bring. I'm certain of this. You will have trials. (laughs) So the question is, how do we endure them? How do we get through them? By the clenching of our teeth and just getting through them? Or we want to look at, there's five things. I think we talked about three of them last week. Um, I think we had them on the board, didn't we? Okay. See, it's not just a matter of enduring trials, but how do we do it to literally get a sense of where we're on a sense of spiritual maturity? Because we talked about, remember remember that little exercise I was doing up here? Those of you who were here last week, you'd remember it. Um, See, trials bring endurance, and endurance brings... Oh, this is too easy. Brings maturity. And it's really that, it is that simple, quite honestly. Um, but this passage of scripture, it's almost like you almost have to flip it on end and start at the back to get the full grip of how to do it at the beginning. In other words, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. Oh, that doesn't work, does it? It just, it just can't hardly grab that and say, joy? Are you kidding me? But that's not where you necessarily start. But that is where we're going to start because that's how it is in the scripture. Huh. This must have been one of those that, uh, let's see, we'll maybe put that one aside. We'll take another one. There we go. So we have to have a joyous, start over, joyful attitude. Now, those of you 
that have studied the Word of God know that attitudes just don't come from out of the blue. You just don't wake up and have a joyful attitude. It doesn't happen that way, does it? In other words, if you walk outside and just boom, the attitude just hits you and you are just joyful. It doesn't work that way. That's why Paul was very, in, in writing his letters, he always started with thinking right. You have to think right before you can live right. He always did it that way, and that's a great place to start. But the joyful attitude is certainly one that will get us through it. But it's based upon another thing we found last week, and that is an understanding. You know, when I'm talking and writing, it just does not work out. Understanding. An understanding what? Mind. That's right. We have to understand what God's doing here. God is at work. God is in control. God is sovereign. God is powerful enough to engage and to help us to literally, powerful enough to make us what is the best for us. What would be the best? What would be, if you were going to take a picture of a before and after, uh, Larry, what would he look like after the trials? He would look a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Exactly right. The more that I'm able to look like him, that more successful God has literally been. I have to know that. I have to understand that because... For all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. That's not just some, that's a fact because God is God and he can do it. I I never question the fact that he's not strong enough to accomplish everything he sets out to do. And he does set out to make us like Christ. That's what he wants us to be because it's the most useful form that we could possibly be. And again, the trying of your faith makes endurance and endurance makes maturity he knows that and if we know that guess what's starting to happen if you know that god is making you better and glorifying and honoring himself it begins to take on a joyful attitude because it's deeper than the sense of just that moment that trial that difficulty uh, it, it, it truly is. Number three, I think we looked at this one last week. Not only do we have a joyful attitude and an understanding mind, we would have a submissive will. We would have used Abram, Abraham last week as a, a clear indication of that. Here was a man that, again, at 100 plus years of age, he was probably actually, um, I'm going to guess, 115 to 116 117 years of age, when God came to him in a dream and and said, "Uh, Abram, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Now, if that trial would have come, I believe, when he had first, at 75 years of age, been called by God to go to this new land and would have been asked that, I'm convinced he would have completely failed. But God knows that. You see, that's why when you say, I could never do that. Well, that's really good because God didn't ask you to do that. He knows what you can do. But he also knows that you can do more than you think you can do because you don't sign up for trials. Have you noticed that? You didn't sign up for trials 101 or 102 or 103. Those college classes aren't because no one would join, no one would gain. And who would be the professor? God. 
<laughs> That's the best way to be. If it was anyone else, it wouldn't be very good. It wouldn't be very good at all. It's not productive. Because God and God alone is the only one that can orchestrate trials to make you more enduring and ultimately more mature. Now, that should be our goal, really. You don't want to continue to be immature, I would hope. Correct? But the thing is about Christians, it doesn't matter age-wise. Uh, I know some, some rather elderly saints that haven't matured because they haven't approached trials with a manner that James is allowing us to see. Now, James is really exhibiting. He's really uncovering. It's like taking this door and opening up. And you know what James wants to see from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 5? He wants us to see what a vibrant, living faith looks like. That's what the whole book is about. Now, he's been misrepresented. In fact, uh, Martin Luther actually, for some period in his life, felt that James was off course. Because he really, from the outset, it looks like he really focuses on works and not faith. But when you dig in, it's the works because of your faith that proves that you have a living faith. And you know what trials do? Trials literally show us the status of faith. Now, I'm here to tell you, I was gonna, this was a little bit later, but I'm just, because this is something that needs to be, continue to be reiterated. Uh, we, we hit the word trials, and we hit the word joy, and it's just like this oxymoron that we can't get through. But that's really not what it's even about. Uh, this whole thing is the sense of verse 3. Let's go to your, your scriptures, which you probably have opened in James. Let's read it in verse 2. First of all, he's very clear to say this, my brethren. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to those that have trusted Christ. Count it all joy when you fall into divers or various temptations or trials would be a more, uh, a more complete word. But watch verse 3. Knowing this, this is what you need to know, that the trying or the testing of your faith worketh patience or endurance. This whole thing is a sense of testing your faith. That's what this whole passage is about. All that we're talking about here is it's the testing of your faith. It's, it's the growth of your faith. And not, nothing else. It really isn't. It's about your faith. Now, there are some people that in trials, it's clearly exhibited, they have no saving faith. As sad as you want to know that, though, literally, don't you? Wouldn't you want to know? It would maybe some simple, just I, I'm just going to say a very shallow affirmation that I trusted Christ somewhere, sometime. And a trial will expose whether that's true or not. But the really cool part is the faith that will not fail in trial, and that's a guarantee. But this I want you to get a firm grip on if you have saving faith. It cannot fail in trials. Let me say that one more time. A saving faith cannot fail in trials because it's God's gift to you. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2 just so we understand that. Uh, I'll show you how much, or the scriptures will show how much we bring to salvation. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is so clear in doing that. It sets out who we were first. In fact, maybe we'll just start in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2. Not in my notes, but I think it's essential for us, particularly as we talk about this, to get it fixed in our minds. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. 
And you, he's speaking to the Ephesians, again, those that are in Christ, hath he quickened, that is to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. You were literally dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's the system you were part of, this, this whole world system. And it doesn't take a lot of creativity to understand. If you study the world and society and all that it lives for and dies for and breathes and, and intake, you know what? It's a system that is really literally grounded and rooted in sin. And the one that runs that is Satan. That system is literally run by him. Let's continue. Among whom also, verse 3, we all had our conversation, our, our citizenship is a word we could use there, in times past, the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's, a very, that's not a very good picture, but look at verse 4. But God, in that lowly estate of where we were without Christ, but God, who is rich... In mercy. That's not, that's not, he's not giving us what we deserve. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ. By grace you are saved, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hard to imagine to go, did you see that in just two verses? You went from as low a pit as you could possibly with no hope, no way to get out. And literally, because God loved us and he was rich in mercy... And gave us grace. He's literally lifted us from the pit of hell and literally pictures us in, the, in eternal places of being in the heavenly places. That's amazing. But now watch carefully that we understand how that happens. Uh, verse 7. I'm sorry. Verse 8. Now watch. For by grace are you saved. That's... God's riches at Christ's expense, that word grace we can use as an acronym. You're saved by grace. Nothing you've done. And how? Through faith. Whose faith? Well, it tells us. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. You see, this very faith that we're talking about in James, it's literally not really our faith. Isn't that cool? Because if it was, we could fail. But this faith, though what James is describing, this testing of this saving faith, cannot fail. That's fantastic. Yes, it is a free gift. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need to understand that very, very clearly. Anyone that would say that there's a part in salvation that they've brought, they do not understand grace. They do not understand grace. Because if you understand, that's what the Old Testament's real purpose is, is the fact to show us. Justice is not something we can even get close to. We need to understand that God is holy, righteous, and perfect. And there is no very, I don't want God to mark on the curve. I had some teachers, a physics teacher, he gave us a standardized physics test. Everybody bombed it. But in his mercy, he went ahead and marked in the curve. So the high grade was an A, and the low grade was probably still an F. <laughs> I don't know, but the point of the matter is, I don't want God to be like that. I want him to act perfectly, 
righteously and holy because that's the only acceptance that we could possibly approach him on. And that's why Jesus Christ had to die. If there was any way possible that we could do it on our own, then Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Isn't that absolutely correct? And you know what? Even when we study the faith, that's why we went to Ephesians chapter 2 just right now. That saving faith that is literally tested because God gave it to us when we submitted to him. That faith is unquenchable, irreversible, and cannot fail under testing. That's something you need to contemplate. Because sometimes we see trials as something that you can, oh, I don't know if I'll get through this. Oh, yes, you will. If it's a saving faith, you will. Now, those that you at a trial happens and, and they fall prey and they fall underneath of it and they walk away from it, the Bible speaks of that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us because they were never of us. It's an unsaving faith. That's the difference. So make sure that you have a saved faith. Now, and by the way, God gives that because of his mercy and his grace. Now, there's a fourth one. I don't know if this is the right time or not, but I think it is. We'll put it up here. Any, well, first of all, any questions about these first three? We find those um, literally in those first four verses. We went through verses 2, 3, and 4, and we're coming with that should be how to endure trials. Uh, how are you guys doing with enduring trials so far? How did you do last week compared to the week before? Oh, that's none of my business. You're right. You're right. You're exactly right. <laughs> not so good. And it's easy to not so good, is it? You know, and you know why? This is interesting. You see, if it was easy, I, I'm going to be careful how I say this because I haven't thought about it. If it was easy, then it probably isn't a trial. Probably wouldn't have learned anything. <laughs> That's right, because if it's easy, then we haven't been stretched. It's like if you go to the gym and, you just, and you just, you're just in the gym and you don't do anything in the gym and you haven't exercised any muscles, oh, that was easy. <laughs> Right? Well, if you think you're going to go into the school of trials, there's work to be done. There's muscles to stretch. There's faith to be stretched. Because if you haven't stretched faith, you're not going to literally, what? Gain endurance and it's maturity that is gained through endurance. Correct? Again, I don't, don't misread this. How to make trials easy? I didn't say that. How to endure trials and to literally see it as progression. Not just clenching your teeth to get through it. You've been in those situations where you just, just get through it. No, 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 no. Trials should not be that way for us. And the first clue is, that's, that's why James started with this. It should be a joyful attitude. That, see, that twists my head right away. How could that possibly be? And he starts to unfold each one of these five. There's two left that we haven't uncovered. Each one of those five, and I'm convinced that if you start from the bottom, which we haven't, we haven't uncovered, this actually makes it all fit together because you're reversing and you see, ah, that's why that's true, that's why that's true, and that's why ultimately we get to the point, I can be joyful about a trial because we know that God is looking out for us. We know that Jesus Christ died for us. We know that the faith we have is because God gave it to us and it is unfailable, unquenchable. Again, nothing easy about any of this. The last time I saw easy, I see spoiled. I see immaturity. I see all of those things. If you, you think of that little two-year-old. You got that little two-year-old in your mind right now? The un, 
disciplined two-year-old? Oh, that's different, isn't it? That one that just, ah, right? And, you, and you're looking for orphanages as possible <laughs> caretake. That was not supposed to come up. <laughs> but do you know what the difference is? It's called discipline. It's called discipline. And a Christian without trials, which it's, it's impossible. That's not in the Bible. If you got saved to get out of trials, if you got saved so that you would have an easy life, you have not read the Word of God. And I'm not sorry about that. I'm really glad that God cares enough about us that He wants to make us better and He wants to make us more Christ-like. I mean, what, what correction would have Jesus Christ needed? Zero. And I can't show you a life probably that had more pain, more suffering, and literally more endurance ultimately. Now again, he's above and beyond that in the sense of what he was heading towards. His focus was on getting us saved. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 talks about. He counted it joy to endure the cross. I don't know if I can. <laughs> right? And he knew that was coming. It wasn't like, see, sometimes our trials in one sense, I look at some of the most severe trials that I've had in my life, I would not have wanted to know those in advance. I would not have wanted to know those in advance. They came unsuspected, they came with difficulty, they came whatever. But if I would have known five years before that or ten years before, you know what I would have done with those ten years? I would have thought of how to get out of it or, oh, no, that's coming, right? No, I think in one way, God hiding the future from us is to our benefit. But know this, if we know that trials are coming, then we need to set ourselves up with these five ways to be ready to endure them. So you're saying, well, we've got another one. Yes, we do. Um, One of the things that, and I played down this trail, and it, it was interesting, I forgot it. Remember we talked about even the situation we find in this valley and in really in the western United States. I've, I've not seen this in my lifetime where this much of our nation is this dry. And it's amazing that the, the, the dichotomy between the western United States being dreadfully hot and dry. And I'm talking, this is, this is bad stuff. I don't know where the nation's western cow herd is going to be after this year. I have no idea. There is not nearly enough feed resources to keep them together. Now, and then you pick up the phone and I talk to people in Mississippi or Alabama. I didn't talk to anybody this last week that I know of, but the week previous they said, how's it going? And I'd say, how's it going out there? He said, oh, oh my goodness. We had nine and a half inches of rain this week. Ah, what's wrong with this picture, right? I mean, it's been taking at this rate, it'll be 13 years till we see nine inches of rain, right? I just made that up, but you get the idea, okay? But now, here's, here's something, and this was actually, I, it was a friend of mine from Nevada at bull sale time that came to me and told me this. He says, we're, and he's in dry country, he'd be north of Las Vegas, probably 120 miles, a little town called Hiko, H-I-K-O. And a large ranch runs a, probably a million acres there, and, and obviously you would know desert, it's dry, that's the way life is there. But he said in the last three calf crops, and that would be from the time that there's a calf in a cow's belly until they've weaned that calf, that, that would be one cycle. He said, we have averaged the last three calf crops 1.3 inches of moisture. I said, how did you do that? And he said, we've, 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 we've hauled water, we've done everything. I don't know what to do now, but he said, I've stopped. This is what I want you to get to. Because what, what, what have we been praying for? And by the way, I don't want you to stop praying for rain. No, no, that's not, that's not what this is about. But it's bigger than this. 
Trials are bigger than whatever we see as the condition that caused it. That's what I want you to get beyond right now. He said this. Larry, I stopped praying for rain. I started praying for wisdom that I know what to do without it. That's really good. That is really, really good. And that's why Paul, I'm sorry, Paul, James, after the first verses 2, 3, and 4, am I too animated? I don't even care. It doesn't matter. Because there's a lot of trials going on. Verses 2, 3, and 4, and we're, okay, okay, James, you said we're supposed to be joyful. That's really hard right now. My attitude is not necessarily right away going joyful when I got trials in my life. But then you also said, I need to understand. That helps. That helps. When I can go to the Word of, and by the way, keep this in mind. You always will be directed back to the Word of God to get your mind right so that you can think right, so you can act right. That's the way it works. But once you start to understand these things, ah, oh, that makes a little more sense. And it's amazing if we're submissive. Let God have His way because He knows best. How many people have gotten saved and found an eternal route to heaven because it was as bad and horrible as it could possibly get in their lives? They couldn't have fallen any lower, whatever that might be. But that was the pathway to get them, really, to turn around and to see Jesus Christ for who he was. When we submit to God, that's amazing. But at that point, he changes it just a tick. We get to verse 5. What's the, don't go there. Stop. I know you wanted to. I don't, and some of you did anyway. And some of you are still doing it, but stop anyway. Okay? So what would you feel after those first two verses, two, three, and four? You'd say, oh, I can't do that. I, I don't know how to do that. Right? And James knew that. And so what did he tell you to do? Let's go to verse five together now. It makes so much more sense. Now I have to find my glasses. Oh, yeah, this is my favorite resting place for them. Verse 5. Let's stop. Let's go to verse 2. Let's do it one more time. My brethren, Christians, uh, count it all joy. Measure it. Commit yourself to joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing this, this is why, because the trying, the testing of your faith worketh endurance. And let endurance have her perfect or complete work that you may be mature and complete and entire wanting nothing. And you're just like, how do we do that? And he says in verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, if any, I lack wisdom. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to have a joyful attitude. I don't know how to understand everything. I don't know how to. He says, does any of you need wisdom? And I would hope if I asked you that question every single hand. And James knew that. We need wisdom, don't we? That's why it seems so pertinent to, a, to this gentleman. And I thought about that. I said, you know, that's really insightful. Now, it's easy for us to try to find out what is that condition that placed us into that trial. In fact, remember, we used Paul as an example last week. Um, I think that's it's either First or Second Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 12, and right around that, verses 9 through 11, 9 through 12. And Paul had been subjected to a thorn in the flesh. I don't know what that was, but it couldn't have been fun. Because Paul is that guy. You read through his life and his journey and, and the stuff that happened to him, and I'm telling you, whoa, he endured a lot of stuff. But it says on three different occasions that he asked for that to go away, which means it was very uncomfortable. Okay? But there's a point where God, he got it. He said, no, 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 I'm going to leave that there because it's going to do something very valuable for you. It's going to keep you from being becoming too prideful. And that's when he was wise enough to see that trial. Literally, in my weakness, I am made strong because God is the strength that I have. Isn't that cool? It's really good. 
But you see what he was praying for now? He prayed initially to take away the condition that made the trial so real. That's very, that's very easy for us to do. I do it. I do it. You know, if you've got financial problems and there's too much month left at the end of the money, you just pray for more money so that the month and the money come together, right? And I could go on. It could be multiple levels. And see, what we see is we want to have that condition removed so that we can have some sense of relaxation in the trial. Usually that's not God's way because he wants to teach us, he wants to grow us, he wants to make us more Christ-like. And the reason it's there or he has allowed it to be there is that's what we need at that moment to find out really where our faith is and what we're really trusting in. That's what we need to know. And that's why you need wisdom. We need wisdom. There isn't a person in this room or anyone that is within the, uh, hearing my voice. If you don't think you need wisdom, you need Jesus Christ first then. Right? In fact, where do we get wisdom? Let's take a look at Job. Now, you think of Job. Was that a man that had some trials? <laughs> In fact, what, how, does that, uh, how does that saying, how does it go? Uh... Anyway, we use Job almost as a, as a synonym for trials, right? Uh, just like Job. Man, that's just like Job. And what are we saying? Yeah, that guy had trials. Now, did he deserve those? You wouldn't think so reading, uh, if you were writing out a, a, you know, a line item. And by the way, all of us probably deserve everything we get and more, right? But I want you to see something. Let's go to Job. Let's start in like verse, uh, or sorry, chapter, you need to go to chapter first. Let's go to chapter 28, somewhere in there. Let's see if we can find it. Chapter 28 of Job. And Job is talking. He's speaking. His friends are there quote-unquote friends, and he's talking about wisdom. Let's go to chapter 28 of Job. We'll start about verse 12. And this is good, but he says this question, but where shall wisdom be found? Let's stop there for a moment. Or Where is the place of understanding? Isn't that a great thing? Where do you find wisdom? Now, have you guys, uh, how many of you, anybody scuba dive? Nobody, not a person in this room scuba dives. Well, just, that's good. I don't either, by the way. I have no interest in it either, by the way. None, because that would mean I would be underwater. And underwater is not a good place for me to be. I like water at the knees or less. That's just who I am. I like irrigating water. I don't like any more than that. I've drowned nearly, well, two times just about drowned. It's amazing how that concept lives with me. I, I don't need to swim. I don't need any to do that. I just like water at a level I can do something with it, right? That's me. But to scuba dive, what is, what is that about? It's literally going underwater to great depths. And you can even find, well, his point is, my point right now is, it wouldn't matter how deep you went into the sea, you couldn't find any wisdom down there. Uh, do, do any of you parachute or do things that your insurance company would very much not like you to do to remain with us? But if you went to the very hot, in fact, what was that guy's name? Uh, there's a guy that's into this, uh, yeah, you know. I can't think of his name either, but he's, he was like 50 miles above the earth. That, what was it? No, it's, a, but it's, it's, you know that guy. That guy. Okay, I can't think of his name either, so it's, we're going to call him that guy. Yeah, that's it, Branson. And so he's got, his, he's got his craft, I'll just call it that, and he's flying 50 miles out there. Now, if we were going to ask him, he spent a lot of money. 
He saw a lot of things, but I'll tell you, he didn't find any wisdom. Because it doesn't matter how high you go. It doesn't matter how low you go. It doesn't matter how far you go. Let's keep reading in Job. Job is asking this question. Where do you find wisdom? Verse 13, man knoweth not the price of it. Isn't that true? Neither is it found in the land of living. Uh, let me stop from, did you see it? It's not found in the land of living. You know, here's the real question for me is, how many people in the United States Senate or the United States House of Representatives, how many of those people have you heard recently that really are crying out for wisdom? Zero. They don't even know they need it. Right? Zero is the right answer. There's nobody. There's nobody that I've heard. And then we don't even know we need it. That's how far away it is. Isn't that something? Let's keep going. So it's not even found along the land of living. Now it's starting to get... In other words, uh, so what we're saying is I can't go to Walter's and I can't go downstairs or upstairs for that matter. And, and uh, I, I'm here. I just like to buy just a little, just a little tiny bottle. Is it in the spice section? What, what, what is it you want, sir? I said, I just want a little tiny bit of, I can't really, it starts with a W, but I don't want a lot of it. I just need some of it, but I wondered if you'd have some. Well, what is it, sir? Um, I don't know what it would come in. I just don't know what, I've, I'm, I'm looking, I'm really looking for it. Uh, would you have a little tiny bottle of wisdom? Wisdom? What kind of a, what kind of a spice is that? Oh, it's, it's really essential to life, they tell me. It's, if I don't have it, I can't live very well. Whoa, I've never heard of it before. It's, that's about where we are as a country, aren't we? Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that Walter's... I should ask Joe, shouldn't I? We should, get, we, should, we should get on the phone with Joe. Hey, Joe. Hey, Joe, old buddy, old pal. I need you to order me some stuff. I know you don't have any downstairs, but I wonder if you could get it. Um, just think about it. Could you get me a bottle of wisdom? And I'd get something from, I'd get some wisdom from Joe probably, right? I would get something coming back because he and I have that kind of a cool relationship. But isn't it something? You can't get it that way. What about wisdom like <laughs> They gave it a try, didn't they? They gave it a try. Does anyone know the story behind that? It certainly couldn't. I don't either. I'm, I'm going to look that up. But what, a, at least tried to name a place, right? How many of you, but here's, here's the deal. How many of you are going to go this week to Wisdom, Montana to go get some wisdom? You won't find it there. <laughs> but there's got, to be, there's got to be a story there. I'm going to have to find out what that is. It's not like that. You can't buy it. Let's keep going. Job has a lot more to say. I'm getting off. Uh, verse 14. The depth or the, again, the sea, it is not in me. The sea saith it is not with me. Verse 15. It cannot be gotten for gold. I couldn't buy it if I found it. Neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold of the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it. Neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living, and kept close from the fowls of the air, destruction and death say, We have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. 
So far we found that God knows where it is and no one else. For he looketh to the ends of the earth and seeth unto the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds, and he weigheth the waters by measure. When he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yes, and searched it out. Look at verse 28. This verse you need to know. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And depart from evil is understanding. Now, see, that'd be a great place to start. If you want to know if someone has wisdom, my first thing, tell me about what your concept of God is. Now, anyone that says there is no God, according to the Proverbs, is a fool. He would have no wisdom, right? Did you see that? That's very, very important. So if we're going to ask for wisdom, there's only one place to get it. Only one place to get it. And that's from the Lord God. So let's see what James says about it. Let's go back now to... Actually, there's one... Before you do that, uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Verses that you may have memorized as a youth. Uh, Very... What should we say? Verses to live by. Things you need to have put within your heart. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. That's a good recipe for acquiring wisdom. Let's go back to now to the book of James, but not to chapter 1. I'd like us to go to James chapter 3 and verse 17. He unfolds for us wisdom at even a deeper level. But the wisdom, this is James chapter 3 verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. Now it's coming from above. It can only come from God. Then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's another picture of what wisdom is. And that sounds like, from what it is, that we probably, looking at how to endure a trial, we would need a lot of that. I went to, I was going to go get it just a little bit. Do you know what? We need a lot of it, don't we? We need a full jug. We need our lives to be filled with it. Only one way you can get it is from God. Now, there's this fourth, and you're saying, well, what is the fourth one? How come you don't write that down? Because we haven't quite got to it. We're getting closer. You're saying, oh my goodness, this is going to last forever. James chapter 1, let's go back now, and let's read verse 5. So I would say, if I was to ask you, how many of you want wisdom, your hands would shoot up. If any of you lack wisdom, comma, let him ask of God. We just read back to Job, and Job was very clear and said, that's the only place you'll get it. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That giveth, now this is really cool, this is really cool. Because now you're starting to wonder, okay, if I need wisdom and I ask God, will he give me any? Have you ever asked God for stuff like that? Now, there's some stuff that God isn't going to give you because it's not good for you. I don't know what that is, but he does. How many times have you asked and the answer was no? And you keep asking. No. Why do you think he says no? Because he doesn't like you? No, because he loves you. (laughs) Right? But when you ask for wisdom, did you? we'll read it now. When you ask for wisdom, God is so happy 
that you're asking for it. I shouldn't make God happy. God is what he is. But you understand what I'm saying. He's, he likes to hear from his kids. He likes to hear from those that are his in Christ. And to know that to ask for wisdom, guess what he's going to do? He wants to give it to you. There's no price. There's no cost. You see, if I called Joe at the hardware store today, he would have to give it to me for free if it was real wisdom. That's why he wouldn't order any for me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's keep going, though. Let's look at this for a moment. Let's look at this for a moment. If any of you lack wisdom, yeah, we do, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, does not resist, and it shall be given him. But verse 6, there's a catch. That's our number 4, because if you want to endure trials, uh, it's not only going to require a joyful attitude, an understanding mind, a submissive will, it will also require a believing heart. A believing heart. Because if you are asking God... In fact, let's let, let's let James do, it, do the work for us. I mean, verse 6, it says, But let him... Ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Now, I don't know how many of you have been at the beach or at the surf, at the ocean. Um, I, I've been there on a couple different occasions. And there's, there's something about it that is powerful and yet soothing. Now, I don't know. I don't really have an understanding. Not because I'm in it. I'm just sitting there watching it and listening to it. Okay? You're picking that up, that water thing, right? But there is some, and actually, if, if there's music, there's two things that really work really well with me. That is a creek flowing, that, that rippling sound, whatever that is. That is so soothing to me. I mean, I can just, uh, I'm out, right? Or to hear the, the ocean and those waves coming. And they keep coming. They keep coming. But it's interesting, you know, that just that water really doesn't go anywhere. Have you noticed that? It just, it's just there. And that's literally what happens to a man or a woman that will ask for wisdom but does not believe that they will get it or really even care enough to want to have it. I think I said that right. It's going nowhere. A double-minded man achieves nothing. In fact, he goes on to say that. So if we're not focused on really desiring wisdom, we're probably not going to get it. It takes a believing heart. In, in many square, this is to me. This is really the place to start to make these other things work. Did you see how we're working almost in reverse? You have to be right here. That faith, and we, we went out on, we went out and found that. That's really not your saving faith. It's what God gave you. And when you have that, first of all, we can know that when the trying of that faith takes place, that's what it's about: it's testing it to show you how strong it is, to know what you depend on. See, it's interesting. One of the, we'll be finding this in a moment. Um, there's one more left. But one of the things that for a rich person, I'm talking about materially or possession rich, to find out what he or she really believes in is when you start taking those things away that made them who they are in this world. Now, we know at the end of this life, they're gone. You just as well get used to figuring out how important they are here. And that's really what a trial is in a rich person's life. What do you really trust in? 
And that's why, in some cases, you'll find that when Wall Street crashes, we, you know, the, 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 the plunge of the stock market, whatever it might, you could have various things, the land crashing, the cryptos. I could go on and on and on because that's what happens. There's cycles in all of these financial markets. That's why people jump out of windows because they were trusting in that particular deal. But a highlight actually for a rich man or a rich woman is to literally have a trial. In fact, that's one of the things that James is going to say in a few minutes. You need to rejoice, rejoice as a rich man when a trial comes because it shows what you really trust in. And if you trust in anything less than God, at least he's showing you what you need to trust in. And the earlier you know that, the better it is. That's one of the hard, That's why Jesus said, remember he said, it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven. Why is that? Because it's what are they trusting in? And too often, the rich man gets to the end of his life and has never really thought about trusting in anything else. It's one of, actually, it's a great, I feel sorry for so many of those that are so powerful in the sense of possessions and wealth. Because that's truly what they depend on. Exclusively. And to see those things evaporate at the very end and they haven't even thought about it. A trial brings realization and really a point of which after the fact. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but do you see how significant trials literally can be for anyone in any place? Let's go to Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 6. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6, talking a little more about wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6. Correct me, I may not use the right words here, I don't know. I'm using the Larry paraphrase right now, so I'm going to need a little help. Verse 6 of Proverbs chapter 2, follow carefully now. For the Lord selleth wisdom, for out of his mouth... Did anyone want to stop me there and nobody yeah. want to stop me? <laughs> it's not for sale, is it? Did you see? This is great news. And how many times, how many of you read this verse and you haven't even seen the significance of it? What if it was a price tag on it? What if you had to buy wisdom? What if you had to work for your entire life to get one dose of wisdom? Oh, it'd be debilitating. But did you see that? Let's read it now the way it's supposed to be written. Or the way, it's, the way it is written, the way it's supposed to be said. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. Oh, it's delightful. Uh, think with me now. For young, I'm just thinking of young people now that are, you know, getting out of high school, maybe on their collegiate tour, maybe even out of college, and they're trying, you know, starting a career. And there's all kinds of, there's this plethora of things that their mind is just infiltrated with. And if you, if God came to you one night and said, Paul, you're going to be younger for just a second. Okay, you're just getting out of college, and <laughs> and, and, and you're and, and you're trying to figure out where, where where do I go? What do I do? And God comes to you in a dream one night, and He says this. He says, "Paul, I'm going to go ahead and have you ask me anything, anything, and I will give it to you." Now, the rest of you, Paul is contemplating right now. He does not know what to ask for. But I'm going to ask the rest of you, if that happened to you, what would you ask for? And you know where your mind goes? It's all of the society, all of the world brings to us, and we're just trying to think, let's see, how would that, if I had that, it it would all just like, right? How are you doing? He's still thinking? Okay, good. He's still thinking. 
That's exactly where I want to go next. I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 3 because God did, in fact, ask a man that was the, king, the heir to the throne. Let's watch this unfold. And I'm sure Paul's going to come to the same conclusion because I, I, just, I just think he will. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. And let's watch something. And talk about wisdom. Let's see, 1 Kings chapter 3. Oh, where do we want to start? Good question. I will say then, let's just start in the beginning. Let's start in the beginning. 1 Kings chapter 3, let's start in verse 1. And Solomon made an affinity with the Pharaoh king of Egypt, took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Now, I want to just take this. This is really not where I wanted to go, but I want to just start this right now. That verse tells me that Solomon did not use any wisdom right there. You know what he was using? He was using man's ingenuity and man's intellectualism to, to solve a problem that looked like, from man's perspective, this is a great idea. In other words, if you could make an alliance with those other kingdoms around the area, then it would actually create a peaceful treaty within that neighborhood. So, literally... Solomon marries Pharaoh's daughter so that everybody's a big happy family. And you know what happened. That literally was the downfall of Solomon's continue, the rest of his life. Because he opened a door into an area that literally destroyed him from the inside out. But that's just verse 1. Let's keep going now. Verse 2. Only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built in the name of the Lord until those days. Verse 3. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. How are you doing, Paul? Are you still thinking about it? He's still thinking about it. Okay, let's keep going. Now, I want, I want you to come back. I want to come back to something. Now, Solomon was not perfect in any way, but there's something. I want you to see it again in verse 3. What did it say? Well, how did that, what did that read? And Solomon loved the Lord. And Solomon loved the Lord. Okay, very good. Very strong. Now, that night, that dream, God said, ask what I shall give thee. Here's this young man. Verse 6. We're not told as to if he immediately responded or if it was later, but he said this in verse 6. Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. He knew his dad pretty well. And thou hast kept for him his, this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is. This. Now, did you, see, did you see that verse? If you were going to encapsulate that within one thing, you know what I would say first of all? Solomon is very thankful. Did you see that? He's very thankful. That's something that I see in a Christian that is maturing. That's the something I see in a Christian that is literally having trials that they're learning endurance, and endurance producing maturity. This is something that is a, a byproduct or a benefit of that is that Christian will become more and more thankful. It, it, it's just because you see what God has done for you. And trials produce more dependence on God. The more dependent you are on God, the more thankful you are to Him. That's what trials literally do in your life. So why don't we thank God for trials? 
because we see it as a trial and not as a maturity process. That's why. Because when I say the word trial to you, don't I? I can almost see your eyes dilate. I don't want any of those. But if I told you, now let's, remember, remember how we had all of those words on there to, to sell the Bible? Remember it was like eight things? I could give you a manual about truth. I could, okay, it's the same thing in the sense of trials. How do you really present it? If I was to tell you, I'll tell you what. There's a journey that can literally mature you to a level that no one else could ever get you to. Your spiritual progress would be absolutely astounding if you follow this map and this quest to spiritual maturity. It will fill you. It will engage you. It will encourage you. It will manifest within itself a maturity that no one else could ever become that you will become. How are you doing? That's a trial. Oh, now you ruined it again, right? But see, it's how we think about it. It's how we think about it. But thankfulness, I see this in Solomon. Now, this was a young man. I have to tell you what. He is really reacting in a way that had to be pleasing to God and also to his dad. And now, verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. Give, therefore, thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. There isn't anything that you could ask that would be more powerful than wisdom. So Paul... That's what you were going to ask for, right? That's right. That's right, yeah. We kind of, did we guide him into that trail? You know what? I'll tell you what. As a young person or at any age, if the first and foremost thing on our mind is to request and to ask thankfully and humbly that God would grant us wisdom and believing him to do that, that trial becomes a whole different level to you. Because now no longer are you looking at through your eyes, your eyes as a trial. You're looking at through God's lenses as what he's wanting to do with and for you. It changes everything. And that requires a believing heart. Paul was really good at that. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. He believed that no matter what circumstance, that it was okay. In fact, at the very end of the Philippians, the book of joy, if you're here today and you're joyless, if you're tr- struggling to find joy, I would suspect that a good recipe for you would be to read Philippians. And it's only four chapters. Read it through each day of this week. And at the end, I'm pretty sure that you would get to verse 19 along with Paul of chapter 4 and you would say this, But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is completely committed to making you better. Let's actually, speaking about commitment, let's go to, uh, this is something that's really key as well. In a trial, where are you in the sense of commitment? Let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's take a peek here. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. And look at the commitment within this, and we'll start in verse 4. 
Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. How often do we, let me see if I can read this differently, but how we react. Now, we read that. It was pretty clear, but let's see if this is right. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with one-fourth of my heart and with one-eighth of my soul and with one-half of my might. That's a double-minded man. That's why James chapter 1 and verse 6 is so clear is the fact that if you have a divided life, how could you possibly ask for wisdom with a believing heart? We've got to be all in. We've got to be fully committed. We've got to be fully focused. This is still, I think, number four, a believing heart is still the key component to getting the endurance through trials that we need to go forward. Because when we have a believing heart, then we know what we need. And when we know what we need, we know we need wisdom. And when we cry out to God for wisdom, guess what? All of these other things start to fit in. And it's not just a matter of a drought that we are engaged in and we're asking for rain. Now we're actually asking for wisdom to take each moment of each day to know how to live in a trial that we don't know when it ends. Can you imagine how thankful we're going to be when we get that day when it actually rains an inch? Are you kidding me? That will be a great day. That will be a great day. I have this saying. uh, Somebody say how it's going today. And on a bad day, I'll say it'll make a good day better. Isn't that true? That's what trials do. They allow us to thankfully see what we really have been given, especially if we've been through some tough times. Right? That's exactly the truth. That's exactly the truth. Let's turn to... um, Because when we're not committed, we're certainly double-minded. We're unstable. We're vacillating. We're undecided, unsettled, confused. And let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's, it's, this just very succinctly says what God is. And that doesn't sound like God at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. God is not vacillating. He's not double-minded. He's not unstable. He's not confused. Look at verse 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. God is not the author of chaos. James is so focused on living faith versus dead faith. Let's turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Let's take a look at the difference, shall we say, the differences in faith. It takes a living, vibrant faith to literally be asking for wisdom. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 13. This is the parable of the seed. We talked about this a number of weeks ago. And let's look at it again in verse 10, chapter 8 of Luke. He said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And we talked about that for a moment. You've been in maybe a setting of where the gospel was given and it seems so incredibly clear to you as one that had already trusted Christ. And and you, you could say, how could they not see or hear the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? That's a good answer right there because Satan is stealing that away. He's taking their mind somewhere else. I can sometimes, if I'm at a, uh, a gathering, particularly maybe at a funeral or memorial, and I'll see some people that when, I, when, you, when you pick up the Word of God, 
They want to move away from that. They're, they've got their ears shut. They don't want, that's Satan that is trying to shut that out. He's trying to steal the word of God. Okay? But let's go to the next one, verse 13. <clears throat> verse 13. <clears throat> they on the rock are they, which when they hear, this is on rocky soil, there's no depth, uh, receive the word with joy, it sounds good, and these have no root. And which for a while believe, and in time of temptation or trial, fall away. That's exactly what we're talking about here. You see, trials will expose the validity of faith. That's what it does. And in in one sense, that person, let's say that does not have saving faith, and a trial comes, for them to see how they respond, now it may take someone else to point that out to them. It shows, in fact, what is their faith? What is it based upon? Did they trust Christ to get out of any problems? Most of the time, those are the ones that walk away. That is not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about using trials to make us better and better and better and more Christ-like. But that's exactly a situation that would show us that the testing of faith would really unfold the validity of what they believe. Trials test your faith. Trials cannot destroy true faith. Because true faith is a gift from God. True faith will endure. Now we have one left, and you say, finally, number five. Number five. Now, I'm just going to, I'm not going to give it away, but I'm going to ask you, because it's always fun. So we've got to endure a trial. We've got a joyful attitude. We have an understanding mind. What does God's word say about what God's doing in a trial? We have a submissive will, and we literally give God free reign to do what's best for us. And then, as we're asking for wisdom, or really overall, we have a believing heart that really what God's doing is right. We believe that. Our, this faith is, is pronouncing it. So what do you think number five would be? What do you think? What are we missing? That's really good. It's wrong, but that's really good. It's really good. No by, the, no, by the way, but you know what? It's really interesting. If you approach, we'll get number five. You, you were close, but not quite there. If, if you do these five things, do you know what is an absolute the fruit, the low-hanging fruit that people will see in your lives? Is thankfulness. You can't miss it. You can't miss it. A Christian that has gone through trials is a Christian that has become thankful. The more trials, the more growth, the more progress, the more maturity, the more thankful you are because you see how powerful and sovereign and rich God is. And that makes you more thankful. The more you know Jesus, the more thankful. It was a great answer. It really was. But it's actually a fruit of enduring a trial. So do you want to make another guess or should we keep going? Excuse me? Perseverance? That's a good answer, but it's not right. Because actually, actually, as we're enduring a trial, that's literally what we're doing. It would be how do we persevere through a trial and make it part of maturity. That's, that's good. So you got, excuse me? Growing faith. Growing faith. Okay. That would be right here in number four. But good answer. But the one thing you said was the more dependent upon God we are, the more thankful we are. Mm-hmm. Very true, isn't it? Really does. So, so what happens when we become, when we realize that we are more dependent on God? What should that really do to us? What should that really do to us? Because let's let's look. See, there's something missing, in the sense we have an attitude. Now, see again, I say this is all almost upside down. 
If you focus on the attitude first, you're not going to get there. Because you're just saying, are you kidding me? How could I be, right? That's what you do. But don't stop there. Okay, then we're going to think. We've got our mind wrapped around it. Then our will. This is really big. This is really big. But how do you crack the will? Is it's that saving faith that God has given, a believing heart. There's something missing yet. There's something missing. Excuse me? Ernie wins the prize. Humility. Let's find what James says about this. Now, again, if you want to announce that you've gotten humble, how would this be? I walk through the door. I walk through the door. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to announce to you that I'm humble. <laughs> Woo, we missed that one, didn't we? That's exactly right. Yes. I you're... just made my aunt a t-shirt that says, I'm humble. If you don't believe me, just ask me. <laughs> there you go. That's right. See, and that's what humbleness is. Isn't it so elusive? It's so elusive. Even if someone... It, now, it's okay for someone else to say that about you, but if you, even when you receive that, you have to be careful. Oh, Paul, did you really mean that I was humble? <laughs> see, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because that's... Because humble... And again, the definition of humility is... Not thinking less of yourself. You're not thinking of yourself at all. That literally makes a trial even more strong in the sense of your progress. Because here's how to make a trial very, very difficult to endure. And that is to put yourself, me, myself, and I at the party. That's the only ones you invite. And all you're concerned about is how you are being treated, mistreated, whatever it is, and you will totally take a trial and make it into one of the most explosive debacles that could ever happen. Humility takes you out of that picture. It puts it in the right, the right perspective. Now, I'm actually, there, there is a part of this, which you guys answered first, and I want to give credit where credit's due. If there's a place, literally, that thankfulness comes, it's in a humble spirit. I'm going to write that down because, see, that's the last part is the spirit. If you notice that every, path, every facet of who you are has been covered now, a humble spirit. You have spirit, you have heart, you have will, you have mind, you have attitude. Now, did you see this again? See, I like to, that's why if, if you start it joyful, if you demand that first as an attitude, you will miss it all. You have to start at the bottom. That's why literally in verse 12 it says, Blessed is the man that, in, that endureth the trial, that comes through the trial, because he will receive the crown of life. It's like, like this is what happens at the end. And it's almost in reverse. Do, would you not agree? Yes. You've got to get this stuff right before this. This comes naturally. Now, if you come with... This is, this is what's really cool. Just thought of it right now. If you have a joyful attitude when a trial comes to you, that means... That the other four are present. Isn't that cool? So the next trial that comes to you, it's like 8.05 tomorrow morning. And you say, uh, as the engine blows up in your car, well, praise God. He's got another plan. Sounds like I'm going to get another car. I don't know how, but I'm going to have another car. Right? See, that's, that's what happens when you, when you literally approach a trial with a humble spirit, a believing heart, a submissive will, an understanding mind, and a joyful attitude, is you have placed all of the consequences on God, who loves you. You don't take all of this, all of this weight and you just get weighed down with it, and I can't take anymore, and I can't, and he will never give you any more than you can stand, even though you think you can't. Again, I want you to re- you remind yourself of this. A saving faith cannot be beaten. 
It cannot fail. It will endure. It will mature because God gave it to you. You have to continue to remind yourself of that. Don't let anything else go in there because Satan wants to take a trial to destroy you. He's trying to tell you your faith is not strong enough. And if it was your faith, he's right, but it's not. God gave you that faith and it will endure because he said it would. I hope I'm pumping you up a little bit. This is, this is important stuff. Because you know what? The trials are in an accelerated state if they've ever been. They are at a heightened level. The battle between good and evil has never been more rampant than it is right now. Trials will come at an alarming and accelerated space. We have to know. You have to know where you stand in that. You have to know. You have to know. Let's go now to James for a moment. James chapter 1. And let's read what seems to be a little bit out of place, but it's really not. He ends the asking in faith, asking for wisdom. We didn't, we'll maybe read verse 8 yet. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We talked about that. If, if you're a half-hearted man or woman, if you're a half-hearted will man or woman, you can't possibly go anywhere. And then verse 9 through 11 is an interesting passage. It seems almost out of place until you understand. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flowers thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways." Now that, those two verses are literally saying that really on God's terms in a trial, a poor man, and we're talking economically here, we're talking in the sense of the social scale, if you will, whatever that might be. And you know what I mean. If you have the poor versus the rich, in society there's a huge disparity, right? They don't even associate with one another. They can't even be in the same room almost, correct? What this is saying in a trial, it brings everybody on the same page. Because the poor man, regardless of how difficult it becomes... Literally, he's exalted because he's trusted Christ. Heaven is in front of him. This, whatever it is that he's going through, is just of a very small consequence. In fact, Romans 8, 18. Let's turn there for a moment. There's a passage that actually would, would allude to that. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. If you're struggling with something in this world right now, this is a verse you need to have control of. <clears throat> And just maybe even to go back a little bit further, because positioning is so important. Uh, Verse 15. Uh, Verse 14. I can't can't help it. I just keep going back. But verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that's the views that have trusted Christ, they are the sons of God. Did I tell you last week there was a man, I can't remember his name, he said there was only one son that was sinless, but all sons have suffered. Isn't that true? Every son of God has suffered. There's only one that was sinless. And if you're here and you're the son of God, one of the sons of God, right there it tells us. Let's keep going. Verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I mean, just comprehend that for a moment. If so, that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Look at verse 18. Because of that, for I reckon, I consider 
that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you're struggling with a trial and it's up and over the top, I'll tell you what, you just think about what, what's coming. Because of what we understand, our mind is understanding. There's, there's eternity. There's heaven. I, you know, 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years here seems like a long time. And it's not even a, It's nothing. It's nothing compared to our eternity looking forward to us. It's fantastic. And for a poor, those that are in poor estate, literally, you are more than conquerors, as it says further in chapter, chapter 8 of, of, of Romans. But it puts them at the same page because if you're trusting in Christ, the rich man, why is he called rich here is because his possessions. But a trial will show that person, that rich person, what are you really trusting in? And it, this is it. This is the deal. A rich person should literally rejoice, should rejoice when the stock market or wherever his positions are rich, that it falls and crashes because it shows him that his trust is in God. And if it's not, the sooner he knows that, the better it is. And it puts him on the same page, doesn't it? And you know what that is? That is humility. That is humility. That humble spirit literally is the place that God starts. What does God hate? He hates it more than anything else. Pride. In fact, the places that he has lists of, of the pet peeves of God... Usually pride is listed a couple of times. He cannot stand it. There's two things that God really, really hates. And he mentions it, two different lists as two times. One is pride and the other one is lying. A lying tongue. Those two things. And you know who the father of lies is? Satan. You know what his first lie was? That he was bigger and better than God. Pride and lying, they go hand in hand and they literally destroy everything that is good. Everything. Wow, we've come a long ways. And the poor, they would have the bread of life, the word of life, the water of life. Received by God, they have eternal life. God is enough. Think of that. God is enough. That's one thing that no matter who you are, he is enough. He is enough. Now, I want to show you, I think we'll end here, actually. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. The nation of God's chosen people were given an opportunity to let it put into effect what would have been seen as a trial that they already knew that God was working for them. Deuteronomy chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 19. Now, let's kind of walk through where, how they've been. How did they get to, this is Kadesh Barnea, but I'm not talking necessarily just geographically, but how did the nation Israel, God's chosen people, how did they get to this point of now they're right on the cusp of crossing into the promised land? What had been in their what had just been in their previous history? What had taken place? Excuse me. Yeah, to the Egyptians, correct? And it had been about four hundred years there. And again, that trial. Let's think of that for a moment. That trial was pretty extensive, wasn't it? I mean, at the end, particularly. I mean, it was way out there. And and then Moses comes to town, back to town, and he goes and presents a, his uh, his situation before between, before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh gets excited and says. Oh, you know what? Why don't you tell those clowns that uh, we don't give them any straw anymore? They can go find their own straw. They can make bricks, as, but as many as they were made. Boy, it sounds good here. That went well. Our trials just got ramped up. Uh, what, where's God in this? It, it, has your life been like that? Sometimes when you think the trial should stop and it gets worse, right? And then we watch as these ten plagues take place. And if you're on the outside, the Israelites watching that, that must have been something. 
because the Egyptians suffered immensely. And over there in the land of Goshen, it didn't happen. I would be like, whoa, God is really cool. This is really awesome to see God being able to have that much power to, oh, wow. And then you know what happened. And eventually after the 10th plague, and they learned a lot more about God, didn't they? They learned a lot more about holiness, his righteousness, the fact that purity was number one to him. And then there's that lamb. And they had to put the blood of that innocent guiltless lamb on the post so that the death angel would pass over. And anyone that didn't paid the price. But then they got out of Egypt. In fact, the Egyptians are so happy to get rid of them. They said, here, take our jewels and take our stuff and I, I, we just get out of here. Right? Just as God said it would happen. And then they take off and then you know what happens? Pharaoh says, what are we doing? What are we doing here? That's, that's our workforce. They're getting away. Let's go get them. Dun, 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 and then they go. And wrong way they go after him. And now, now you're really in a pickle. You talk about a trial. Here's a trial. Here's a trial. There's the Red Sea in front of you. And the Egyptians are behind you coming at a high rate of speed. In fact, they see the dust. That's kind of between a rock and a hard place. You've heard that one. I don't know where that came from, but it's about the same feeling. And what do the people do? Oh, old Moses, if you would have just let us up back there, we could have made it. We would have been okay. But God wasn't finished. He was ready to do something really miraculous and wild. And this is a lot of times, people, within a trial, God wants you to see something that no one else could do in your life because he is God and he's making you bigger and better and more Christ-like. And then all of a sudden, Moses, God tells him, and it's amazing how it's late. It's not early. It wasn't like he got this memo in the mail at the Egyptian uh, uh, post office and said, Moses, now about three days from now, you're going to be chasing you over the Red Sea, and you will then take your rod, and you will tap the water, and the water will split, it will rise up, and then you guys will walk on a dry land. That's coming in three days. Doesn't happen like that. Your trials aren't like that. They come, and they come quickly and harsh. And then when you just about given up, and there's God. Oh, Moses, Moses, would you just walk over there and just, you do what I say, and then the people will be able to walk through. And what do they think of? Did you s- Let's go, let's go. So the way they go, they cross through there. And that must have, that carried for centuries amongst that people knowing how God had. That's what history does. That's what trials do. I look back at several trials in my faith growing. I won't, I won't bore you with those details today. That there are events in my historical background that literally have proven to me God is in charge. He can get it done. And my faith grew because of that trial. And I can take a trial today that only God would know how much. But it's more than it used to be because I hadn't had my faith grow and progress to the sense I'm a little bit more Christ-like. But think of those people who crashed, went through, and then they're saying, No, they're they're going to keep coming. And then, whoosh, whoosh. And the Egyptians are drowned within that Red Sea. Right? That's a wow moment. And here they are. They're Kadesh Barnea. They've been traveling with God. And God is awesome. Is he not? Now, I want, that's where we're going to pick this up. How are we doing for time? Oh, we're going to have to hurry. Imagine that. Me hurry. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 19. When we departed from Horeb, we went through all that great and terrible wilderness. This is verse 19, chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. Which you saw by the way of the mountain of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. We came here because God wanted us here. <laughs> Sometimes we have to say with a trial, you know what? We're right here in this trial because this is where God wants us. 
to verse 20. And I said unto you, Moses saying, you are come into the mountain of the Amorites, which the Lord our God doth give unto us. Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. You know what? That's many times what trials are happens to us as we become fearful and discouraged. It's true, isn't it? That is not what God wants. God wants us to react in faith. He wants us to react with encouragement. He wants us to have a dependence upon Him. And you know what happened. I, I looked at my clock. We've got to move on. But you know what? You know what happened. They sent 12 guys to spy out the land. That, does, anyone, does, does any in this group have any question of what God has promised to do for the Israelites? That land is theirs. Now, did he say it was going to be easy? I didn't see that part. I didn't see that part. But if God's with us, then nothing is impossible. Remember what Mary, as she's been described, that she's going to bear the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon her. And she's trying to figure that out. She said, I don't, I don't. And you know, God's response was, I'm not going to tell you how it's going to happen, but I'm just going to tell you this. With God, nothing is impossible. You have trials right now that you're engaged in, and it looks totally impossible. With God, it's not impossible. In fact, you will come out on the other side when you have these five things in your life that you will grow beyond your wildest imagination and your faith will blossom and bloom. And it's not a matter of clenching your teeth and getting through it. It will be a sense of maturity and progress that is truly God-oriented and God... I'll just say God-worthy. He's the only one worthy of getting that done. So here we go. They're gathered there. The 12 spies come back. This is why I don't believe in democracy. Because democracy said 10 to 2, we're right. <laughs> democracy is only right if the mob is right. If the mob is wrong, they're still wrong. God is a majority by himself. Two of those men, who were they? Caleb and Joshua. And they said, yeah, God has promised, let's go. Let's go get them. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, they're tough. But God is bigger and tougher because West is just someplace that he wants us to go. That Red Sea, remember that? That was a big deal. And the tents, oh, no, 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 we're like, we're like grasshoppers in our sight and we can't go. And, oh, it's terrible and God's going to hurt us. And, and all of the people, because it was 10 to 2, said, oh, well, we better not do that. We better not do that. Guess what happened? There was 40 years of trials. Right? And guess what? That same event came again, and in Joshua chapter 1, guess what? God came to Joshua, and he said, Fear not, be of great courage. I will, I will, I, it's the same message. It's when you're in a trial, you can know this. Be of great courage. I am with you. I am with you in this. all of this. We will come out on the other side. You can respond with faith or with fear. And I'll tell you which one God loves. So, the recipe for trials coming... We're going to go in reverse because it's easier that way. A humble spirit. A believing heart. And what are you going to ask for with a believing heart? Wisdom. If you don't ask for wisdom, I'm disappointed. (laughs) A submissive will because God knows what he's doing. An understanding mind. The more you learn about... Now, this is the thing. If you come with a humble spirit and a believing heart and a submissive will, this is what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will guide you into the Word of God and you're going to understand more and more and more and more about what God's doing for you and how He loves you. 
And then ultimately, you won't be able to stand it. You're going to be just like Paul that's living in a prison and writing the book of Philippians. You can't stand it, but be joyful. Question or comments? You've probably never heard messages like that on count it all joy. When you, you know what? When you take it and work it backwards, it becomes like that makes great sense because it's God's word, isn't it? It's great. Didn't say the trials would be easy. Get ready. Get ready. So here, here we go. Trials produce endurance, endurance and endurance produces maturity. maturity. And God's behind every single phase of it. Okay. Questions or comments? If not, let's pray. Father God, thank you for James, the half-brother of Jesus, which his mind towards Jesus changed completely as he was a young man growing up in that family and then watched his half-brother, Jesus, make claims that he considered to be ludicrous And then he watched his brother be crucified, whether he was there at sight or not, but he knew that he had been hung on a cross, treated as a thief, and yet in his heart he knew he'd not known of anything that he had done wrong. He had stood toe-to-toe with the religious leaders, with the government officials, and had apparently lost. And then he was buried. And then on the third day, he was supposedly spoken of as having been risen from the dead, which was highly suspect, completely ludicrous in the very thought and nature of it. He had heard that Lazarus, Jesus, had risen from the dead, but it seemed so outlandish. But then there was that day that Jesus Christ appeared to James, his half-brother. That day must have changed James' heart to see that there was a significant difference between a living faith and a dead faith. Thank you, Father, for filling James's heart with the Holy Spirit to write these words. Father, these are words that are comforting to us as well because everyone has lived in trials. Everyone will continue to have trials in their life. Thank you for James and laying out for us how to endure those trials to bring about progress, to bring about maturity, to bring about us to be thankful and worshipful towards you, Father. There will be trials coming this week. They will come unexpected. They will come with vengeance. They will come unannounced. But, Father, may we be committed to following you, committed to having a believing heart as we ask for wisdom, to deal with it in a way that would allow us to become more mature. May we submit to your will. May our mind be more understanding as the Spirit leads us into the Word of God to show us what your intentions are, to be more Christly. Father, that humble spirit that should surround us, it will produce thankfulness. And Father, the joyful attitude will come because we know nothing can take us away from you. Nothing can separate us from you. You are stronger, more able, more enduring, more powerful to accomplish everything that you set out to accomplish. Father, may just one week from now, may this group of people be just a little bit more Christ-like because of what you're taking them through to make them more like Jesus. Father, we'll thank you for the rest and remainder of this day, and we'd ask that the life's journey of each one of these that are gathered here today, Father, that you would 
lift them up, encourage them. In some cases, Father, you may have to carry them. No safer place to be than in your arms. Father, there are those here today that probably have a trial that can't even clearly state. It's too overwhelming, too gigantic. Father, that person right now, I'd ask that you would just hold so that they'd feel the very warmth of a loving, merciful, grace-giving God. Father, lead them right where they need to be, right by the quiet waters of grace, letting them taste of your mercy. Father, lift them up. And now, Father, take us, use us, whatever we need to be, we ask you to do that, helping us to endure trials because they're best for us and glorify yourself. These things we'll ask in Jesus' name. Amen.